If you read the newspaper or watch television, I'm sure you know that I am no longer the Archbishop of Philadelphia. Uh, last uh, Thursday, uh, Pope Francis announced in Rome at noon, six o'clock in the morning our time, that Bishop Nelson Perez, uh, a priest of Philadelphia who, has, who is now the Bishop of Cleveland, Ohio, would become the new Archbishop of Philadelphia. Uh, I am now the Apostolic Administrator of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia for three more weeks until the 18th of February. And then Archbishop Perez will take his seat in the, in the bishop's chair, the cathedra, and I will become the Archbishop Emeritus of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, which means I'll be a retired old guy, right? So I hope that you're praying for the new Archbishop. He's a wonderful man, he's a friend of mine. I'm delighted by his appointment and I think you will be too. Uh, he's just a, a great gift from uh, the Holy Father to our local church. So please keep him in your prayer. But you still have to obey me for three weeks. So, and I expect you to do that. So let's look at today's uh, readings. This is the third Sunday of Ordinary Time. And you know, uh, if you pay attention to the structure of the liturgy, that the first reading on most Sundays has the same theme as the Gospel. But this Sunday it doesn't. The only reason why we have this reading from the prophet Isaiah as our first reading is that the prophet Isaiah, this particular passage, is quoted by St. Matthew in today's Gospel. The opening of today's Gospel is a quote from this passage from the Old Testament from the book of the prophet Isaiah. But since this is the Sunday that Pope Francis has called the Sunday of the Word of God, it gives us an occasion to reflect on our relationship as Christian people with the Old Testament, which is part of the Bible. You know, we don't believe that uh, when Jesus came and began the new covenant in his blood with his sacrifice on the cross, that the old covenant was taken away. We believe that God's promises are always kept. And God made a promise to the Jewish people that he would be their people and they would be, that he would be their God and they would be his people, and God has kept that promise through the centuries. We know that God spoke to the Jewish people through the scriptures of their time, through the, uh, uh, there are, I'm gonna make sure I get this right, there are 45 books in the Old Testament. Uh, some of them are the Torah, the first five books, and then there's the historical books of the Old Testament, and then there's the books of the prophets and the wisdom literature. And we believe that all of that is still the word of God because when God speaks, his word is, is faithful and his word is forever. And so you and I have a duty of respect and obedience to uh, the word of God that we find in the Old Testament as we have a duty to respect our our, our fellow children of God and the Jewish people. You know, we have a duty to respect them as our elders in the faith, I guess. So do you read the Old Testament is, I guess, the basic question. 
Or have you decided, well, that's not important anymore. Um, I, I'm a Christian, so I'll just read the New Testament. That's not a good thing. You know, Jesus read the Old Testament very faithfully and was obedient to it. And those of us who are his disciples should do the same. So I hope you do that. I hope you, you know, you read your Bible regularly. Uh, certainly the, as Christians, the, the Gospels are special for us. And the New Testament is very, very special for us because it uh, talks about the origins of our church and our faith. But we also want to commit ourselves to be uh, submissive to the Word of God found in the 45 books of the Old Testament. So I'll get uh, to the Gospel in just a moment, but on the way there I want to stop for a moment on our second reading, which is a reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Uh, because St. Paul is talking about unity. I, for those of you who were here last Sunday, I mentioned that uh, uh, this past week was a week of prayer for Christian unity, where we were supposed to pray as a community for and with our Orthodox and Protestant brother and sister Christians. So I hope you did that. But today's reading from 1 Corinthians gives us an occasion to reflect on what kind of unity does God want from us? You know, what kind of unity do we need to have with the Orthodox and with the Protestants? There's a great uh, spirit in the world today that, about diversity. Diversity is really very important, and of course it is. But sometimes people think, well, we can have various understandings of, the, of what it means to be a Christian and still be brothers and sisters to one another in the Christian community. Well, that may be some people's opinion, but is it, the, is it God's opinion? And so we want to look at this reading, which is the Word of God, where St. Paul articulates the kind of unity that, the God, that God expects in the church. That means between ourselves as Catholics, between our community and the Protestants, and the Orthodox. This is what St. Paul says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, so it's very serious, that all of you agree in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. Once again, that all of you agree in what you say. Be united in the same mind and the same purpose. So, you know, to be a Christian means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if there are different opinions on what that means and what's, that, and what's required, somebody's wrong and somebody's right. Maybe all of us are right on some things, but not all, not all of us agree on everything. On the night before he died, Jesus prayed for his followers, and he prayed that they would be one as he and his father were one. And we know there's not the slightest bit of division within the life of the Holy Trinity. And in this passage, St. Paul says we need to be one in the same mind, which is about what we believe, you know, theology, and we have to be one in the same purpose, which is our goal and our activity our apostolic life, what we do in the world. So we need to work for that. We need to work for unity of theology, of the way we think, 
and we have to work for a unity of action where we don't work against one another, but work with and for one another in, in the, the life of the world around us. So we're a long way from that. You know, it can't be true that you can believe and be a Christian and believe that it's okay to have an abortion or you can believe it's always wrong to have an abortion. I mean, somebody's right about that, you know. Or you can't believe, and, and at the same time, that um, it's a sin to use contraception, or it's okay to use contraception, you know. We have, churches have different positions on these things, and they can't both be right. We, what we wanna do is, not, we wanna be right with the mind of Jesus, right? We are united with, with his mind. Now, in the early church in Corinth, right from the very beginning, St. Paul was speaking to the early Christian community at Corinth in this reading, there was a lack of unity. There was a woman in the community, her name was Chloe. And she's only mentioned once in the Bible and in this, this particular passage. And apparently she's reporting to St. Paul what's going on in Corinth. I don't know if she was passing along gossip or, she, or he had asked her to tell him what was happening there. But St. Paul is very clever in what he says here. He says, Chloe has reported to me about you that there are rivalries among you. I mean, some of you say, I belong to Paul. I'm in St. Paul's camp. Or, Others say, I belong to Apollos. Apollos was a Jewish Christian from Alexandria, Egypt, who was a very active uh, preacher and missionary in the early church. He was very eloquent, apparently. He preached much better than St. Paul preached. St. Paul says that himself. So some said, I, I'm not on Paul's side. I'm on Apollos' side. And others say, I belong to Cephas, which is... St. Peter's original name before he was nicknamed Rock by Jesus. And others say, I belong to Christ. I guess those are the ones that started the Church of Christ. You know, there's a Protestant church called the Church of Christ. And, and St. Paul here says, he says, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And of course the answer is, of course not. Our, our identity and our unity comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's no room in the Christian community, let's say now the Catholic community, for factions. Like I'm a Pope Francis Catholic, or I'm a Pope John Paul II Catholic, or I'm a Pope Benedict Catholic. No, we're, we're just Catholics, you know, and Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and none of the rest of them, none of the rest of them. So are you a divider or a unifier in the church? Are you a gossip or are you someone who preaches the unity of the church that Jesus requires of all of us? You go ahead quickly. You're distracting people by walking across the front. So it's really important for us to make a decision about whether or not we're going to um, work for the unity of the church or not. So I hope all of us do that. We work together for the unity of the church in Jesus Christ. Which leads us to today's gospel. 
Now it takes place when Jesus had heard about the beheading of his, or the imprisonment of his cousin, John the Baptist. You know, Jesus had been in Jerusalem, and when he heard about this, it says that he went off to the country of, the, to the, the section of Israel, which is known as Galilee, to escape, um, I think, probably the oversight of King Herod and the um, Roman authorities. And he settled not in Nazareth, which was his hometown, but in Capernaum, which was a fishing village where St. Peter um, both had a home and had a business. That's where Jesus went as he began to choose his apostles. And we see that happening in today's gospel. He chose uh, the, the four apostles in today's gospel, Peter and his brother Andrew and James and his brother John. But before that, it says Jesus preached his first sermon. And it's a very short sermon, uh, which is very important for us to make part of our Christian identity. The sermon is simple words where Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, do you know what the word repent means? You know, we sometimes uh, make fun of uh, contemporary prophets who would be protesting somewhere with a sign, you know, they're usually in a, in a long robe and a beard and kind of dirty and they're carrying a sign, repent, you know. But the word repent um, has a much richer meaning than that image would give us because that's an image of negativity. And what Jesus is doing here is not negative. When he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, he's not making a threat. He's making a promise. He's inviting us to change and become part of the kingdom of his Father, which is a very positive thing. And so it's important for us to understand that repentance, which is another word for conversion, is not negative, it's a positive thing. And to become a better Christian should be a cause of joy for us and not a cause of, uh, of you know, being negative or sad. You know, uh, repentance or conversion has many characteristics. One of the characteristics of authentic conversion is that it's personal. You know, people sometimes talk about the church needs to be converted. Well, that's not going to ever happen because the church can't be converted. I mean, it's only individuals can be converted. I mean, conversion is a personal thing. You can't convert your wife. You can only convert yourself, right? You can't convert your children. You can certainly pray for your wife and children, your husband and children, but you can't convert them. You can only be active in, in, that, in that sense with yourself. So don't wait for the church to be, to be converted. You should get busy about it now. And the way the church gets converted is if the individuals who are members of the church get converted. And once that takes place, then the church itself has a different character because it's composed of converted men and women. So this is very important that we walk away from church tonight with a decision that we're going to cooperate with the graces of God, calling us to change, to repent, uh, to be converted, to be reformed is another way of saying it. That's what Jesus' sermon is all about. A second uh, characteristic of a true conversion is that it's continuous. It doesn't just happen once, you know. We sometimes get the impression, like in today's gospel, that when Jesus spoke, all of a sudden, 
uh, Peter and Andrew, they were changed, you know. Well, they actually responded quickly, but that, you, you know the story of St. Peter. I mean, he was really a mess, even up to the time where Jesus died on the cross because he denied Jesus three times. So conversion doesn't take place once. It takes place time and time and time again. And here I am, 75 years old. You know, I've been a priest 49 years and a bishop 30, almost 32 years, and I'm still in need of repentance. And so are you. And we need to do it every day by listening to the Word of God and allowing God to change us. So conversion is personal, is continuous, and for those of us who are, who are serious about our faith, it's also centered on Jesus Christ. Because conversion means to commit ourselves to Him more deeply. Not just to His teachings, but to Him. And if we love him, then we'll do what he tells us, right? Jesus tells us that. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But you've got to love him first, or you're not going to keep the commandments. You know. A wife is faithful to her husband if she loves him. Not because she's following a rule. You know. And a husband is faithful to his wife if he loves her. It's not just you know, doing what you're supposed to do, but because you love a person, you're faithful to that person. And for us that's who are Christians, that person is Jesus Christ. So conversion is, is Christocentric, it's focused on Jesus Christ, it's continuous, and it's deeply personal, uh, interior part of our, our life. You know, most of us are partially converted here, including me, you know. We are converted, we wanna be really converted, but we've made compromises with the world around us, you know, on all kinds of levels, you know, all kinds of levels we've compromised with the world around us. Sometimes to the point we don't even realize we've done it, right? It's just the way we are. And that's why we need to ask the Lord Jesus to help us know ourselves so that we can receive the grace of conversion and be changed where he wants us to be changed. So get tired of being compromised. It's pretty exciting to be whole, wholly into it, wholeheartedly committed to the Lord and to his teachings and to our church. I know there's groups of people in the church who want the church to change rather than themselves to change, you know. The church should change your teachings so that I fit it more. You know, I, I wasn't gonna say this, but I just thought of it, so maybe the Holy Spirit wants me to say it, but there is a columnist who generally, regularly attacks me in the Father of Inquirer because I won't change the teachings of the church. And um, I don't mind being attacked if it's for, for good reason, you know. And if, if, uh, if you think that the church should change rather than yourself change, I guess that's what you say. But that's not what it means to be a Christian. We don't conform to the world, we conform to Christ. We don't ask Jesus to, to follow us, we give ourselves to follow him. And that's what conversion's about. So may the Lord give you and me the gift of conversion as we celebrate his presence, his word, and his love for us in tonight's liturgy.